Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome. This is Colleen O'Grady, the host of the Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. This is a gathering place for moms to be encouraged, nurtured, and inspired. Also, you'll learn the latest in teen research and trends and get practical parenting tips. You really can improve your relationship with your teen and enjoy the teenage years. Welcome back, everyone, to the 121st episode of Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. I'm Colleen O'Grady, the host of the show. Today, we're going to talk about how your teen can find the right college. Our guest today, Dr. Aviva Leggett, has recently published Get Real and Get In, How to Get Into the College of Your Dreams by Being Your Authentic Self. Dr. Leggett states that it's not about finding the best college, but the best college for you. Dr. Aviva Leggett is the admissions expert and founder of Ivy Insight, the gold standard in college admissions consulting for undergraduate college applications, and in-demand leadership and college admission speaker with a fresh perspective, Dr. Leggett has been hailed by the New York Times as a trustworthy expert on college admissions and recognized as an expert in corporate culture and diversity as a faculty member for Coursera and the University of Pennsylvania. So welcome, Dr. Aviva Leggett. I'm so glad that you're here today. Thank you so much for having me, Colleen. It's great to be here. And I have this wonderful copy. Uh, It's an advanced reader copy of your book, Get Real and Get In, How to Get Into the College of Your Dreams by Being Your Authentic Self. And that's coming out when? It's coming out on August 3rd. Uh, And so today's July. I don't know when you'll release this, but just about a month from where we're speaking now. It's been a very long time in the making. Uh, We can go into more about why that's the case, or if you want me to just start talking about that, I can. But very excited for that release. It's been a long time. Yay. So why did you write the book? So I, I mean, this book honestly has been germinating in a way since my own high school experience. So when I was applying back in high school, I was in this high pressure environment where a lot of kids were going for top colleges. I was kind of a non-native in this environment in the sense that um, these kids grew up in Princeton. They were very, most of them were very affluent and their parents are very educated. And my parents weren't 
uneducated, but they didn't have the same savvy that these parents had around, you know, how to prepare for college, how to get into a top choice college. And this is what the culture of the high school was focused on. So I really internalized a lot of that pressure as a kid. And I just tried the best I could to wade my way through all the information and, you know, the, the messages I was receiving. And one of the things I did was I just focused on a goal right away for better, for worse. I just said, I want to go to NYU. So what do I have to do to get there? So I just sort of was like, okay, I guess I have to you know, keep my GPA up a certain way and try to get these scores and let me make sure I have enough activities. And, you know, in some ways it sounds like box checking, but the reality of my experience, which is hard to describe is that, you know, the experience while it was stressful, it actually pushed me to become a better person and leader to be somebody who was more defined about my goals. And that was ready to take the steps to actually get there versus dreaming about something and not actually making it a reality. So the act of working towards it was actually quite transformative for me. I did get pneumonia right before applications were due. So again, it wasn't all a good process, but the transfer, the transformative aspect is what really inspired me about the process. And the experience stuck with me even after getting into NYU, which I was very relieved to get into at the time. So at NYU, I realized that I could go into this field of higher education, which is what admissions is related to. And so that ultimately brought me to Penn and Wharton, where I was senior associate director of admissions. I worked on freshman transfer admissions committees. And then I was, I was completing my doctoral degree. I had a fork in the road. I could you know, keep working in my same capacity or I I could experiment. And so I decided to experiment with college consulting over seven years ago, and I've been doing it ever since. And I've been writing this book um, about a year since after kind of forging out on my own. And as I was building my business, as well as advising students, I realized that a lot of the success that I've had and that other successful people um, that I've met have had has really been around maximizing these challenging points and these difficult choice points that we have and not getting bogged down in them. Um, and so I thought, you know, wouldn't it be fun to interview different leaders to find out about their high school and college experiences and draw out some of their pathways. And so other people who maybe aren't quite as advanced in their college and career yet would have not necessarily an exact roadmap, but at least some ideas about ways that they might evolve and that, you know, this is a process. It's not meant to be, you know, it's not like you get in and you graduate and then you have success. There's a lot of work that goes into getting to you know, become successful. And then success is not really a destination. It's a journey. So my book has reflective exercises that students can use. It has these interviews with thought leaders and lessons derived from their stories. Um, it has current student experiences, as well as my own uh, experiences as a high school and college kid. And um, my college experience, um, I, I don't need to get into a ton of depth too, but my college experience was had a pretty rocky start because when I got to college uh, in September, it was September 2001 in New York City. So you can oh imagine goodness. what happened two weeks into my uh, freshman wow. year. Yep. So, wow. so again, like I had challenges in adjusting to college life because NYU is a really big school. And also because September 11th happened right when I got there and it was a really being on your own. It's not quite on your own when you're in college, but being somewhat on my own for the first time in our new city with this 
terrible tragedy happening right right off the bat two miles from campus was harrowing to say the least so I wrote about that as well just to give people perspective like you can go through a lot of rough stuff and you can still find your way and find yourself and so that's what I think you know my life has been all about and what I see from my students is like they all have some kind of struggle in their life even if they present that they're together, they're, they're all battling something. And so I want everybody to, you know, going with that battle, keep moving forward, keep setting those goals and working towards them and know that even if things aren't going perfectly for you at all times, it doesn't mean that you're not making progress and getting to where you want to go. Yeah. 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 And you had a lot of great stories and then you kind of pulled out lessons from them. You want to share one of your favorite stories from the book? So one of the stories I was reading last night that I enjoyed again was Adam Grant's story of um, Harvard. Uh, I don't know if you if you had a chance to look at that story, but um, this one was kind of interesting because, you know, people talk all about a dream school that they have. You know, I have a dream school. I want to go here. So what happened with Adam Grant is like he literally had a dream one night that he was going to Harvard and it had not, I guess, apparently consciously crossed his mind before that point. And then he woke up thinking this was September of his senior year, by the way, he woke up thinking like, oh, I should I should apply there. And most people in his school applied to Michigan and Michigan State. And that was his initial plan. He just figured he would go to one of those schools. So it was kind of a funny thing that this sort of came into clarity in this like very sudden way. And he applied. And of course, he got in because that's where he went for his undergrad. And ultimately, like it was in college. I mean, you know, the dream becoming reality, like that was just kind of luck. And obviously, Adam's a brilliant guy. So it's not like shocking that he would get in, but I don't think that was something he was expecting because that wasn't an expectation that was put on him in his community. Um, and then when he got there, he you know got involved in a student organization that was essentially a business. And that was what ultimately gave him the, the inspiration behind his career because he became really interested in how people work together and, and how organizations help, you know, not only people to be successful, but sort of the greater good to happen. And so that experience at Harvard that, you know, this was like this dream and then he happened to get there and then he got this experience and he, he says he like almost, he like almost got fired from the job and didn't do so well at it, but it ultimately like pushed him to become better at it. And then to, to derive all this value from it, that's you know been his career for years to come. So I love his story and other stories like it in the book, because it just shows like that was it. Okay. That Harvard thing, like that was kind of lucky, but then he had a really, you know, kind of hard time in college with this job that, you know, where he almost got fired from and he was really awkward in it. And then he derived a lot of value from it and then took that forward. So there are a lot of stories in there about, you know, I would say for, for his story, like one is like, you know, you don't necessarily have to go with what your community is going. So he could have gone to one of those local colleges and he just said like, let me just try this, even though it feels like a long shot or not for me. And then the second thing was like, just keep at it. So with this heart, with this job uh, he had at Harvard, he wanted to, he felt like he wanted to quit, but he just, he stuck it out. And it it really worked out for him. So that was the, the second point. And then the third point is really like, you just have to notice in your surroundings and sort of act on them. So if you don't know something, like get a book. Like he got a book called by Robert Cialdini. I think it's called, it's something in the t- persuasion in, in the title. And he used that book to try to interact with people better and more effectively. So um, you have to use the resources you have to succeed, even if you don't have the tools to be successful when you get into the opportunity. Yeah, no, that's great. 
What are some of the factors to consider when applying to college? So in terms of thinking about what factors to to settle on in terms of schools you want to apply to. So as in the Adam Grant story, and maybe you have a similar story as well, in your community, there may be certain schools that you intend to apply to because everybody applies there. Or maybe, you know, you know that you know somebody who went to XYZ school, so you think you should go there. Um, So I would say, you know, first and foremost, there's a lot of knowledge to have about college out there. And there are a lot of factors that you can use to narrow your list. So one, as you mentioned, is cost. And cost is is an issue for some folks and not for others. And so one of the important points for you is, you know, to get clear is it does cost matter to you. Um, how much money have you budgeted for college? What can you reasonably afford? And there are a lot of tools out there if you do have constraints to know, you know that these colleges would allow you to attend for XYZ sticker price. So you know, in terms of the tuition amount, you don't go off of that, but you want to go off of the expected amount you would actually have to pay as a, as a family and also how much debt you might want to take on. So you have to have a really honest conversation if you're the parent with your spouse and possibly even involve your child um, in that conversation if that child is going to take on some debt there's themselves and they may not know, you know what that looks like if they haven't had to tangle with that. So having that money talk, especially if um, money is a constraint, is a really important factor in your college search process. Of course, another is geography, which can relate to financial constraints in terms of not only the travel to get there, but also what opportunities might be available locally for your child to work with while they're on campus or after college if they want to stay local. So that's another potential factor. Also, of course, if it's a city environment versus a more rural or suburban environment, if that would enhance or detract from the experience for your child. Uh, And then size. Um, So when you have a larger school like in NYU, like where I went, you sometimes don't get as much choice of classes that you want. You get choice of classes within the track or the major that you're on, but you may not be able to take a ton of classes in a different college or different area. So for you and your child, you want to consider, you know, how much flexibility is there? It, how hard is it to get the classes that you might want? Is your child sure about what they want to do or not? And how much flexibility does the college provide to change majors? There's a lot of students, about 50% do change their major. And depending on the major that the student goes in with, it may or may not be difficult to do that depending on the college. So just make sure to know about that. And certainly culture fit is important. So if you haven't had a chance to go to campus, which a lot of people haven't because of COVID-19, you know, who can you talk to from the college, whether it's a student, faculty member, staff member, to really understand what the day-to-day experience is like going to that college, being in that college. And then how can you in turn see yourself in that environment, right? How do you belong there? And so that helps the student really assess their culture fit. And it's a good exercise for the student to learn what they want in a college and ultimately to use that information on their personal statement and or supplement essays to support their case for admission for whatever colleges they're targeting. That's good. Yeah. So you say like several times in your book, it's not about finding the best college, but the best college for you. And then you had an exercise that you had them kind of rate each thing. Like, what do you need from college? So you've been talking about some of those, but are there some other things that was on that list? In terms of the environment, if it's got a good 
college town versus if there's no college town. So like New York, for example, that's not a college town, but it's a great town, right? With a lot of industry opportunities. Is it affordable? Is it near nature? Are there internships? Your friends from high school, will they be there? Is there a strong study abroad program? Things like that. So in all of these questions, in terms of factors to consider, the factors I listed are not an exhaustive list. So when you're thinking about this college question and the factors, it's really about figuring out who you are and what you want, and does that universe include that? So will the factors that you are defining for yourself be present at your university? So for example, if you're a really wonderful writer, does the university have a fitting writing program or writing incubator that you could take advantage of when you're there? What does that look like? So that's how I would encourage you parents and your children to go through this college search process is really not to go broad, but to go deep. So if you have a few colleges on your list that you find very interesting, really take the chance to get to know the programs and supports for your child on that campus. And that helps you to assess if your child would actually like the experience there. Of course, you don't know everything until the child gets there, but you can get a lot of good information and insight about these things if you just take the time to really think through, okay, if I'm on campus and I want to be a you know, a history major, what professors, what classes might I like to take? Could you sit in on one of those classes, right? Or could you ask the professor for a 10 minute chat? So I would say that those are some general factors that I listed, but the more important factors are what would be, you know, the most relevant things to your goals, obviously minus the cost and other kinds of constraints. You may have geography, sibling presence, and so on, the major available uh, and all of that. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you like a broad question about that. Do you see that students will choose the best college versus the best college for you? And what are the consequences of that? Yes, that's a really good question. So I think it's both and (laughs) as a both and answer. So what I would say is that generally the students who come to me, they want what you would think of as the top tier elite prestigious colleges, because these are the colleges that tend to serve high performing, high achieving students. And so these are the the colleges that are top of mind for these students. Ultimately, I think that a lot of the colleges do a really excellent job of giving you cultural, you as an applicant, cultural clues about what they're looking for. So you can look at their essay topics to see, you know, how are they asking this question? It tells you a lot about what they value, right? And if you have an easy time answering the question, then, you know, that could indicate that it's a good fit for you versus a question that's just, just seems so offbeat. You know, like University of Virginia, they have a lot of non-traditional quirky kind of questions because they're looking for quirky people. So if the questions aren't resonating with you in some way, that's an indicator, right? So um, do people always, I think it's a combination of students choosing colleges and colleges choosing them. So when you get an admission offer, I always say, you know, don't take it personally because, you know, this is about the college's priorities and how you meet them. But part of that prioritization is really assessing that culture fit. And so whether or not your fit isn't necessarily good or bad in an evaluative sense, it's just a matter of does, is there an opportunity? Is there a space for you? And do you feel, you know, not the qualifications in terms of the metrics criteria, but in terms of the non, the intangible criteria, is that um, something that works? So I would say in terms of your response to people always choose, I think the colleges choose them 
and they choose the colleges as well. Do people go for brand names? Absolutely. You know, people aren't like, oh, I've never heard of this college. People are very quick to write off colleges they haven't heard of, which makes sense because, you know, when you're in a high high pressure, high stakes environment, like I grew up in, like a lot of my students grow up in, they only know a certain set of colleges. And the reality is that if they're looking to stay in an environment with people who are like them, they are going to be looking for these more and I have this in air quotes, if you're listening on audio, more prestigious or top tier colleges, however you want to label them. So one of the things that I thought about in terms of the best college for you, and one of the factors, and you know, I'm a marriage and family therapist. I see a lot of moms and teens in my practice. And I talk to a lot of kids in high school who feel pressure from their school to go to one of these Ivy League schools, but they'd have to travel like across the country to go to these places. And they really aren't ready to leave home. They're like maybe ready to be three hours from home, but they're not really ready to be across the country. Yeah. And they're good schools. There's good schools around them and they're excellent schools, but they feel like from some of the the college counselors, like that that's kind of a wimpy choice. That's how they feel. Right, right. And I have a section about this in the book. I don't know if you caught it yet. It's it's the section is called Cut Through the Noise. And essentially what the section talks about is how a lot of people have a vested interest in where you end up, right? As an applicant and your school may be telling you where to go. Colleges may be reaching out to you to send you flyers on, you know, sign up for my pre-college program, take the SAT early and all of that. So all of these kinds of organizations, whether it's a school or university, they have a vested interest in what, you know, what you're doing. But remember that their interest is more of a self-interest So for the school, you know, for the high school, for example, they want to brag like, oh, my graduate is going to this prestigious university. Isn't that wonderful? And that makes them look good, which attracts, you know, more, more resources, more accolades, a better ranking in the, you know, U.S. news or other kinds of publications they may be submitting to, you know, state-based publications and so on. So it's important for students and families to remember that other organizations are taking interest and that they're guiding you. But remember, they also have their own priorities that they're trying to meet. So you have to take what they say with a grain of salt. So I'm not saying don't listen to your school. They may well have really good advice, but also recognize that they're trying to help the school as well as you. So, you know, it's really important that students and families stay true to, you know, what they want out of the process rather than simply following what the school does and then feeling bad about it. At the same time, I would advise students and families to really build that strong rapport with the school because the school is ultimately going to be advocating for the student in the admissions process, especially at these more highly selective colleges. The college counselor at the high school is ideally in touch with the admissions counselor in the admissions office and can give some informal reports about the students. And if they really have a good rapport with your family, with the child, they're going to be more likely to advocate for your child. So I would encourage parents not to have an adversarial relationship with the guidance or college counseling office, but to work with them in tandem, but also take their advice with a grain of salt and follow it to the degree that you can, but also go out uh, in a different direction if that feels more appropriate or fitting. Yeah, that's good advice. So I would like you to talk about your chapter, Trust Your Gut, and I'm going to tell a little bit of a story that highlights that. So I had this girl who got accepted to College A and College B, 
Mm-hmm. Her her mom went to college A and her dad went to college B. I remember talking to her. She felt a lot of pressure to go to college A. It was a harder school to get into. And it was like, oh my gosh, you got in here. How could you turn that down? But she really wanted to go to college B. But she did go to college A. And then I saw her at Christmas break. And she says, I'm miserable. I hate it where I am. And I really want to go to college B. And I said, well, that's possible. So she transferred to college B and she's super happy. (laughs) A good story about trust your gut. Is that kind of what you're talking about? Absolutely. And it sounds, you know, very much related to the kinds of story I shared in this chapter. Some students are sort of driven towards certain colleges by parents, by the community, by, you know, their friends. And it's really important that if you have a touch point with a university and you feel that that's a better for you, fit for you, that you do your best within your constraints to go in that direction. Again, asterisk, if there's a cost consideration, of course, that's another matter. But as long as you have sort of, you know, selected a set of colleges that meet your criteria, you should go with the one that feels right to you. Because ultimately, if you trust your gut, you trust your intuition, you're going to be less likely to have regrets. And if you don't trust your gut, you kind of see if you can tolerate whatever you're putting yourself in into. And then you're like, oh, let me actually just transfer anyway. You may, in an ideal world, you do have that chance to kind of circle back and and say like, oh, wait, you know, I should have gone there. I'm sorry. But sometimes that would have mean shutting out that opportunity to go to college B, right? So as much as you can decide this right before you'll go in for your freshman year, the better off you'll be. I mean, it's four years. It's a lot of time. It's expensive. And you want as few disruptions as possible so you can really maximize the experience. So what are the most common pitfalls in applying to college, including the impressiveness paradox? Um, So the impressiveness paradox is really all about for applicants who want the top tier colleges, a lot of them feel like there's a bit of a checkbox checklist that you have to go through, right? So volunteer hours, check. GPA at a certain level, check. SATs, ACTs at a certain level, check. And they end up going through their school life as well as their extracurricular life in kind of a a vacuum where they only pick things that they know worked for other people. They don't necessarily pick the things that are good for them. So in trying to make that impression, they actually don't come off as impressive because it just seems like a fake, like a fake profile almost that you're creating or generating uh, as opposed to something that you're genuinely pursuing with a degree of, of passion and energy behind it. So I would encourage parents to encourage their children to explore things that actually interest them because anything that is, a, is an interest can become something impressive to colleges. You don't have to go with the traditional activities like the yearbook, model United Nations, student council, debate. Your child doesn't have to do those things in order to be impressive for college. And a lot of students I see, unfortunately, join these activities. They may just show up to the meetings. Maybe they go to a couple conferences and then they're like, oh, it's on my resume now. So like, you know, I'm good for college. But that's just that's just not how it works for these higher higher selectivity colleges. You really have to go deep into something and do it with a degree of passion and fervor. So I would encourage parents to encourage their children to 
explore things of interest and then help them expand upon them. So the framework I use, which unfortunately I, I didn't write this in time for the book is the college admissions X factor. So that stands for experience, expertise, and exponentialism. So experience is like that initial exposure to something like, like the student I write about in my book, Mike, who was a writer. So when he came to me, he had a, a small blog. It wasn't really updated regularly, but he just loved writing. And so I suggested that he write a book and he just, you know, to my surprise, he said, okay, you know, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> he loved writing, so it wasn't a hard sell for him. And so he, he went into to more expertise. So he started, you know, writing the book and then he enlisted support. He had a, a group of peers that helped him to review the book and helped him to be accountable to his deadlines. And then ultimately, shortly before applications were due, I believe it was August or September, he published that book to Amazon and he was able to generate um, some sales and some additional support to keep the message of the book going. So that's what I call exponentialism. So experience is like, okay, I've, I have a blog. I've done some dabbling. I know I like writing, like, let me go deeper. So he's like, I'll write a book. But, you know, he didn't just write the book. He also published it, which allowed people to, to see his work on a broader scale. And he also got people involved in his school. So really the what you're working towards when you're working before the application is towards that exponentialism where you're creating something, you're working on something that benefits pe more people than just you and has a positive reverberation all around. That's great. What I like about your book is just there's this theme of authenticity through it. You really want the students to be authentically themselves. And if they are, then they're it, it, like things are just going to work out. And so you talk about shifting your mindset and stop trying to just get in and start figuring out exactly what you want from life and how to get it. Right. Is what you're mm -hmm. the point. Absolutely. And so I also want to clarify that, you know, people, obviously people like doing all kinds of things, right? People like sitting around and watching movies and playing video games. So I'm not proposing that people just do whatever they like and then they'll get into college. But I'm saying that if people can nurture the things that they like and create them into something bigger than themselves, that's when you can really not only stand out for your top choice college, but really prepare yourself to have a successful life because you're ultimately not only enriching yourself, but you're enriching other people through that experience. So I would encourage people to get out there and do something, but, you know, just because it's fun doesn't mean it's necessarily enriching beyond the, the fun experience itself. Yeah, that's great. Mm -hmm. So I had a client, I'm in Houston. And so she got into an Ivy league school mm -hmm. and her parents told her she can only go there if she majored in business and that psychology wasn't worth it. If she was going to major in psychology, then she should just stay near Houston. So what would you say about that? Well, it's really interesting. So I, I think if I was working with that family, I think the first thing I would ask them would just be about, you know, why do they feel that way? And, and, and the first thing that strikes me is cost. So is it, uh, is it, cause I, I work with families too. And they say, well, I will pay full fare for X college, but I won't pay full fare for Y college, right? So they feel like there's a, a value and a sticker price on certain colleges versus other colleges. And um, they may find two colleges comparable where at, wherein the, the more local option is a better option. For example, I have a, a family I worked with in the past year 
And the child got into one of the UC colleges and also got into an Ivy League college on the East Coast. And he is from the, you know, California. And so he would not only get the in-state tuition, but also be in the area in terms of geography of, of the field that he wants to go into, right? So even though the, the East Coast option would provide, you know, opportunities for him to go to that area, he's like, why don't I save time? Why don't I, you know, why don't I save my parents money? And I'm already in the area I want to be in, in terms of professional opportunities. And even though his, it was kind of the opposite, the parents wanted them to go to the, the East coast option. He wanted to stay in California. Um, you know, ultimately there wasn't necessarily a bad decision to be made, but it was about both of their priorities and sort of figuring out how to align those priorities and get on the same page. And ultimately, again, he did decide to go to the California option, but I don't think it would have been a bad choice to do the other option too. You would just open a dialogue and not just have it so polarized and just break it down. Exactly. I think that's, you know, I'm sure as a therapist, you see this all the time <laughs> that people, they have their own perspective, but they're not necessarily listening to each other. And so developing those listening skills ahead of the application process. And I mean, throughout your child's life, it, it's helpful because you're going to pick up what they like to do. You'll be able to nurture it and then also lean into places where they may have challenges and, and see how you can support them to overcome or at least to mitigate some of the effects of those challenges. This is a, like, for example, my client base, I see a lot of kids that are really high achieving and they also have learning disabilities or learning differences. And, you know, even if their transcript is all A's, it doesn't mean that they're not struggling in other ways, right? So I would encourage parents to, you know, see see their children beyond the grades and beyond whatever the, the performance aspect is and to really look at like, how are they doing on a day-to-day basis? Even if the result looks good, what is the toll on the student, what they're doing? Because it's not easy to achieve at a high level, and as much as you can support your child in that, you know, the better off they'll be not only for college, but for their life. Yeah, great. So you have a chapter on look back to look forward. Uh, can you tell us what you mean by that? Yes. So essentially what that chapter is about is, you know, people do, people come up with goals. I see this a lot. People select arbitrary goals. A lot of the times, honestly, it's based on what their parents either do for a living or they think they should do for a living. So I have a family I talked to recently, for example, and I'll just, you know, sort of change some of the details. But basically, they were like, my child should have a career in AI, you know, artificial intelligence, because this is really where we see the tech industry going. They should pursue this. And we've just decided this as a family. And so like whatever the child was young, let's say 12 years ago, that wasn't as much of a thing, like, right, AI wasn't as much of a thing. So, you know, AI might be the student's interest, but, you know, I would encourage the child to look at what was really exciting to them as kids and use that to inform and provide input to the current plans and validate them or invalidate them. So, you know, let's say the kid was interested in, again, like roller coasters, right? Like the example I have in the book and they think they're interested in AI. So with the roller coasters, it's like, what did you like about the roller coasters? Was it, you know, the chance to connect with friends and be part of this kind of community in the amusement park? Was it the actual um, mechanics of the roller coasters themselves? Was it the opportunity to spend time with family? So what, what was really salient and important about that experience of riding roller coasters? And then how does that relate or not to this like goal that I've 
sort of selected perhaps arbitrarily or with a lot of input. So I would encourage people to to look at to look at their childhood and the kinds of things they experienced when they didn't have that pressure of selecting a goal of selecting a college. And so what was really driving them back then? So not all of that is fixed um, and we can all change, but I think I read something that, you know, about 50% of, of who we are is kind of fixed in terms of our personality and about 50% of it is malleable and changeable based on neuroplasticity. So did you change because of that neuroplastic part of your brain or or are you just changing your personality to fit what you think the goal should be based on what's in demand? And does that really suit you or not? Yeah. No, that's so helpful. I talked to a girl who had just gotten her in a master's in accounting and she hates accounting. <laughs> <laughs> oh my so, God. I would too. (laughs) (laughs) So yes, this can help people not suffer so much. Do you have any last advice to the moms listening? Well, mom, props to you. If you have a teenager, son or daughter, it is not easy to be a parent. I am not a parent of a teenager yet. I have two young children, but I see teenagers all the time and I see them with their parents. And I know that the struggle is hard because they are independent. They have their own thoughts about the world and you have more experience and more knowledge. I would advise you to always listen and validate your child's experiences and help to guide and support them the best you can. Again, I would encourage you to elevate their strengths and to help them shore for their weaknesses so that if they have any kind of challenges that you can provide some support for them and don't just take the performance on their report card as a measure of how they're doing. So I just want to say, you know, thanks to all the parents out there and kudos to you for raising teenagers in this really crazy time in history that we're living in. If you'd like to connect with me in the book, you can go to getrealandgetin.com and you can get updates on the book and any resources that we have. Are you on social media? I am. You can follow me at Aviva Leggett on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. We'd love to hear from you there. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your time. It's been really helpful. Thank you, Colleen. I appreciate it. This concludes this week's episode of Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. If this podcast has been helpful, I would absolutely love it. If you could go to Apple Podcasts and give Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast a five-star review, this makes it easier for other moms like you to find the support and encouragement they need. Also, my best-selling and award-winning book, Dial Down the Drama, Reducing Conflict, Reconnecting with Your Teenage Daughter, A Guide for Mothers Everywhere, you can find that and order it online at Amazon and Barnes & Noble. And you can always find other great resources and contact me at ColleenOGrady.com, two L's and two E's. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.